immersion, aspersion, or infusion. Okay, I'm going to need more context here because at first I were th I thought we were talking about baptism and then infusion makes that really, really weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are talking about too. baptism. <laughs> okay. I don't know infusion because now I'm thinking of humans being treated like tea bags, and this is going to a pro meshing <laughs> discussion all over again. You, you just steep. <laughs> <laughs> Going down to the river to see. So what you're saying is head. this is like the this is like what happened in the witch trials and like dunking people to see if they would drown. <laughs> <laughs> if you survive, you're baptized and not a witch. No, but you are a witch, so you're baptized. Oh, that's that's efficient. I get it now. No, infusion is when they typically they have like a water jug and then they pour it almost like they're washing your hair, but they like they oh. they put your head over the the font and then they pour okay, the gotcha. water over. I never knew that name for it. Yeah, it was the way I had been baptized when I was a kid. I'm I'm sure that's the way I was too in the Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. But okay, so um infusion immersion, aspersion or infusion <laughs> or steepen. <laughs> 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 Until you get all pruney. <laughs> um, okay, so I think for me it's gonna be uh, It's actually this is a harder this is harder than I thought it would be. Right. Um probably because at one point or another I've done this twice so I've done two of the three so because I was dedicated or I was baptized in the Methodist church as a child and then we went to Pentecostal and those baptisms don't count when you're a Pentecostal or an evangelical <laughs> depending of course on, not yeah. depending, depending on the tradition so then I went full body immersion in a swimming pool um I, and then aspersion is just the the sprinkles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just the sprinkles. <laughs> Where you use an aspergillum and you dip it into the aspersorium, which is full of water. So you basically have like a water mallet and you dip it into a bucket and then you fling it at people. <laughs> but aspersion, like in an actual baptism, you would typically... Like they use, I've seen fingers. Sure. Um, Kyle, I'm going to make you go first on this one because I'm having trouble deciding. <laughs> Whatever. He's just You've been you under going first this whole time. You can't just turn around and be like, oh, no, actually, it was Kyle's sure turn. I sure, I can. <laughs> I'm, I'm the producer of this podcast. Go, Kyle. <laughs> okay, Power Maniac. <laughs> just because. <laughs> I was gone for scheduling conflicts last week. Doesn't mean you just suddenly get to usurp my, my one-third vote here. You do it now or I'll cut you into it this way later. <laughs> wow. <I'm> <laughs> Actually, you do have the power. Dang it. I am going to... This one isn't actually all that hard for me. I'm going to go with immersion. Cool. Why? Yeah. I I, I like the kind of... <laughs> This feels like a loaded phrase to use, but I like the full body experience. Okay. 
I just like the way that I've seen it done. So like at at, uh, the church that I was going through, through most of my college career, um, was in a small town that had a creek running through it. So every time they would do a baptism, they would go down to the creek and just full immersion in the creek. And it, so it was kind of the, um, I mean, the whole being outside, being in the natural world, sort of very organic, authentic in a lot of ways um, that I always really appreciated. Plus, it was always fun when you had a baptism in like February mm-hmm. because we still went out and did it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, not when it was like so cold that someone would get instant hypothermia, but right. you know. Um, yeah, no, I, I like that. And I, I mean, I can understand the other two completely i think there's a sort of a practicality element the actually the church that i went to in chicago still did immersion but they had this whole like complex baptismal setup that i had to to help put together a couple different times where it was like like it basically was a sequence of like these hard plastic blocks that you would put together to form like the rough um sort of shape of a tub and then it had this plastic this heavy plastic cover that you would stretch over the top of it so that it basically formed like this circular like almost hot tub looking baptismal whoa Um, and that's what they would use but it was always difficult because you have to set it all up fill it up with water and it was i mean it was big it was like filling up a hot tub yeah and then of course you have to turn around and drain it so they've got the pumps and stuff but it's like this whole whole thing to try and and get it done so i can completely understand why in a lot of cases immersion might not necessarily be practical Mm -hmm. i just like it do you want to go next ashley or are you going to make me go now no you're good i i too have have done two of these when i was a kid i was baptized in the um elca the um, evangelical lutheran church of america and it was (laughs) infusion and I remember when I was, I was I think I was like three. And so I remember thinking it was my birthday because I was getting gifts from people, but I didn't like any of them because they weren't <laughs> toys. Um, <laughs> but, but I remember it was, I was out, it was outside and it was really beautiful. I think it was like June. Um, so that was really nice. And that was cool because there's family. Um, but then in college, I ended up working for somebody who was like relatively spiritually abusive and convinced me that my first baptism didn't, didn't count. They had done it wrong. My parents didn't know what they were doing. So I mm-hmm. panicked and I was like, okay, I guess I'm not like really a Christian yet. So I did full immersion at a larger church um, that like required a whole elaborate confession. And it was like a big production. It was like on a stage. It was a very big church. They had like things on like the projectors and my p- voice was projecting throughout while I was walking up. It was like very elaborate and kind of, traumatic now that i think back on it um and and it wasn't the full immersion aspect that that was bad like i thought that was cool it was more like the high intensity production of it all like it was much more of like a form of i don't want to say entertainment because that's not how people approached it but just with how um how technical it was and how much production value went into it it felt like entertainment more than anything else um right. then they gave me a certificate afterwards and i'm just like i don't need this <laughs> um, right. and so it was like almost as soon as it happened i was like this was a mistake but because i was still learning and growing i had no clue what i was getting into um, right and you know when someone who is a spiritual authority in your life convinces you that you that you you weren't it wasn't done the right the first time you know you kind of convince yourself a lot of things so I don't think I'm going to go full completionist on that on this route. I don't think I'm going to go for a third and then do a spurge. 
<laughs> I'm gonna try all of them. Yeah, I just I just need the experience of all three. No, I think I'm good. I think I'm full up. I think Jesus gets it. I think he knows. Well, how, I mean, if aspersion's the only one you haven't tried, it's kind of like that's that's sort of a flimsy way to end. Not well, and it's funny because throughout, um, throughout, like Easter tide, in our tradition, the priest still goes through the congregation with the um aspergillum and the um you know the why am i spa- spacing on what i just called it the holy water bucket <laughs> holy water bucket <laughs> um you know the aspersorium gosh that's the word and uh and he you know you baptize in that regard kind of like reminding you of your baptism so i've still sure. like experienced it it just wasn't like for me <laughs> it's for the church um, so in some way, I'm kind of a completionist. I mean, yeah, it's true. Mm, I think fair. we both are in that, if we're going to play that game. Right. Though it is, I will <laughs> say, whenever the uh, aspergillum is used, it's always really funny to watch because, <laughs> this is pretty uh, good. because it just, whenever you flick your wrist, like someone's getting hit really bad. And there's nothing, <laughs> you should do, there's nothing that you can do about it. My favorite moment, though, is at our current church. Um <laughs> during this Easter time, he, uh, Father Alistair was walking around doing it, and he also goes up to the choir and does it. His wife is in the choir, and without hesitation or thought, with a full dunk, he just goes and like hits he her a, like a backhand square <laughs> in the face, and she, with water, not the aspergillum. Correct. To clarify, to clarify, yes, right. hits her square in the face with. A full aspirin of water, and like the look on her face was like she was in the middle of singing, so she like recoiled and like came back at him like a what the face, but all the while he's just deadpan, like English solemn. Well, see, and that's the thing. I asked him about that, and he's like, "Did I?" So he had no clue. But the look he on, was just in the zone. The look on his wife's face was priceless i nearly started cackling in the middle of the service <laughs> well and we, we've had friends tell us stories of like in their traditions they were the congregation really wanted to try to do it quote unquote like like you were saying like authentically so they wanted to get a hyssop branch and they're like well what's the closest thing to hyssop okay a pine branch we'll get a pine brow bow <laughs> and then they dunk that well that can carry a lot of water so people it's right. like it's it's <laughs> i mean it is like oh splash zone yeah, I was gonna say it's it's like SeaWorld. Yeah, it really <laughs> it's it's crazy. Um but it's yeah, it's pretty funny. So I think like sheer paraphernalia, I do really enjoy aspersion because yeah. I just like all the accoutrement that come with it. I like the symbolism that comes with a lot of it. I do I was torn between um aspersion and immersion only because I like like you were saying, Kyle, like the full body experience. I appreciate right. that. I know in Russia, like I think it's during Epiphany. They do um, ice water baptisms as, as well, like you were saying in February, um, which is like freezing cold, to shock your body into thinking it's dead. So then when you come up for air in life again, it is that full of like actual death to life mm. sort of thing. And I do, I do really like that symbolism. So there really isn't like one of these three I'd ever turn down. As far as like, right. there isn't one that I look at and go, nah, you're wrong. Ashley's you're over here just like, baptize me every day. Right, exactly. <laughs> as long as there's like intention and thought behind it. Yeah. Um, right. Right. But I like, I like all like sort of baptismal s- symbolism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I think I've got to go with you guys on this one. I think I've got to go full body. Uh, I think like to go 
to, the only way I can think about this is like to think theologically. It's not to put one over the other, but I like the mm-hmm. picture it paints of like uh, like when it, with um um Im- infusion infusion. Good grief! I wanted to call it immersion, and podcasters can't see. I'm frantically doing the picture <laughs> motion with my hand, <laughs> trying to come up with the name. Um, with infusion, I like the idea. It, it seems like you're washing things off, like you're cleaning, especially if it's done as a child. It's usually done or a newborn. It's usually done over the head, and I like that idea, like cleansing from the beginning. If you do full body, I I think I theologically speaking, I like the idea of being completely washed, not to go not to go completely like soul song here but being washed by the blood of the lamb i thought you were gonna say like i like the full body experience and i was gonna make an achilles joke but never mind (laughs) (laughs) no uh no so i think i think that i think for that reason i would probably go with full immersion as well sure interesting okay we haven't all agreed in a very long time. Well, no, I I didn't say that. I said I get why people choose oh, immersion. That's I understand true. the symbolism. You didn't come I out went with the full answer. Uh, aspersion, that's right. Accoutrement. Yeah, I like accessories, <laughs> <laughs> basically. <laughs> I mean, like, to some extent, though, because I've, I've witnessed um, a lot of infant baptisms, and I just, I like watching how the priests interact with babies because it's sometimes depending on the priest like sometimes you get some very solemn stoic priests but then as soon as they're handling someone's child you see a gentleness about them that you might not have seen before and then like the way they're like very carefully trying to you know baptize the baby and like using everything and then anointing them like their hands and their feet and their their forehead and it's just really beautiful i like that whole process um like seeing your brother yeah you know, it's a beautiful moment seeing Mother Natalie, you know, baptize friends, children's children's children <laughs> um, uh, is just is is really beautiful with or without like fancy sort of, you know, tools to do so. Yeah. Um, I think I just I like that. And I, and I like then the process of remembering later. Yeah. Um, so I, I 100% agree with you for all those reasons. I will for a hot I will admit for a hot second. I thought you were not going to go the beautiful route there and I thought you were going to say I like watching the reaction of a child getting hit in the face with aspersion because there's always a flinch <laughs> where they don't know what's happening. It's just like ah, ah yeah. and I don't know what's happening. And I well, thought and that's I, where you were going. No. No, cuz again when they're baptizing a baby, they're not I, using No, the- I know, but I I they're not was... like holding the baby in one arm and this water mallet in another, and they're just like, "All right, it's coming." Take the water. No, and typically, actually, now that I think back, a lot of the infant baptisms I've seen have been more infusion than asper- yeah. aspersion. Um, so I think it just depends on what's available. I honestly. think I think I'm mixing of watching some very young children in congregations when aspersion's been used and watching mm-hmm. their faces react every time they get hit with a little bit of oh, it. Definitely. Just the shock. Anytime I know it's going to happen, I tense up. I like try to brace myself for it and I'm never ready for it. Mm-hmm. Ever. <sighs> well, hello everyone. This is episode 108 of the MinMax podcast and we are back to full strength. Sorry for the technical difficulties last week. Just had some issues and we just couldn't get things to work. So we're back to normal. And today, I am quite excited. And I know, Ashley, you, you, I think you're pretty excited about this one too. Uh, we get to talk about a video game that Ashley and I have played 
Uh, Kyle it is on it is on his playlist, uh, but he has also heard us talk about this quite a bit, so it won't be too spoilery. We are going to talk a little bit about Bioshock Infinite, and we're going to continue our discussion on religious themes shown throughout Bioshock, or throughout video games, media, and in this instance, we're going to look specifically at Bioshock Infinite. So I think a good place to go here would be a just kind of give a brief overview of kind of what happens in the game, and then I think we start to hone in from there. Does that sound good to you guys? Yeah. Okay, so within Bioshock, uh, you are you begin the game and you are riding in on this rowboat, and you're riding up to this uh, dock with this woman who is basically reacting and you're like, oh, you've come to consciousness. Hello, how are you? And you uh, are rowed up to this uh, dock and you really don't know who these people are or why they're giving you a ride to a dock by a lighthouse because there's always a lighthouse. Put a pin in that. We're coming back to the lighthouses later. Uh, and you basically, you get into, you climb up the ladder or you can choose not to. More on that later. It is very interesting because they do some fun psychology stuff here that it comes around the second time around that you can really see. Um, you enter into the lighthouse and you are uh, catapulted up into the sky. And just like every Bioshock game, there is a lighthouse that is used to take you to, you are taken to a idyllic kind of utopian society and you're transported there. So you are blasted up into the clouds and you arrive in this beautiful flying steampunk-esque world uh, called Columbia. And you are, you have this brand on your hand that has AD on it and you don't really know what that means. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to go point by point, but you discover that your name is Booker DeWitt and you are, have been dropped into this society with this memory of an event that has happened that involves the two people who were in the boat with you that has the phrase, give us the girl and wipe away the debt. And so you learn that this girl's name is Elizabeth and that she is being held captive in Colombia. And so you're doing a very tropey thing. If you're trying to get to the girl to release her, to save her, and you do that relatively early in the game. But before you get there, the first, one of the first things that you encounter when you walk into the game is you go to this fair and you are just walking around and you take a lottery number out of it. And the lottery number is 42 or it's 19, I believe 19, 18, 18. And you, your number is drawn and you're like, Oh yes, cool. I get to have this really cool prize. And then the curtain opens and you're handed a baseball and you are presented with a situation to where a, African-American gentleman has been caught with a white woman. And so you can throw the ball at them to help begin basically a stoning, or you can choose to throw the ball at the organizer who is helping them. I obviously chose to throw the ball at the organizer and say, screw you racism. That's not cool. And what is interesting though, is that immediately after that happens, everyone recognizes you. They see the brand on your hand and then you start being made aware of these signs around that have, have you seen a man with AD branded on his hand? 
he is an enemy. Stop him, essentially. And it's like, uh, what, what just happened? And all of a sudden, you are racing around trying to get away from everyone. You use this new thing that you have won that's called a sky hook that allows you to hook to the sky rail system and use the skylines and you use it all the way throughout the game. But the first thing that you do is you pummel the guy that grabs you with the sky hook and it sky hooks through his face and is brutal and is like, oh my gosh, what is happening? It's it is a brutal takedown. It, it was the first thing in the game I was like, oh, whoa, okay, what just happened? So basic plot line from there is you go through, you are attempting to uh, rescue Elizabeth. You do. You help her get away. Elizabeth has some pretty crazy powers to where she can open up these things that are called tears to where she can use an ability that basically opens a rift in space time and allows objects to come through or allows you to transport through kind of like a portal. You use this in a bunch of different ways. You sometimes can summon weapons through these rifts. You can sometimes transport through them, pin in that, and you use them very, you can use them strategically throughout the game uh, in conjunction with uh, your other abilities uh, that you gather called plasmids. So where this gets really interesting and where this gets really trippy is you learn later, and this is where the big kind of spoilers begin here. You learn later that you, the person who you're trying to fight against and you have been, who has been holding Elizabeth captive is named Zachary Comstock. Zachary Comstock came, uh, he rose to power after uh, one of the big wars in the world. And he suddenly comes to power and has this utopic vision to where he wants to create a society that can be better and that can rise above everything else. And it can be a place where it is good for everyone and can rise above just kind of the normal, uh, the normal sea and it can rise above uh, some of the restrictions of the rest of the world. Pol politic po politics, politics, uh, social norms, things like that. And he creates his own society that can fly. And so it's just floating up above everyone else up in the sky. And what gets really interesting is you learn towards the tail end of the game that Booker DeWitt and Zachary Comstock are the same person. Booker DeWitt has been pulled through one of these time rifts to try to stop himself and try to rescue Elizabeth. Elizabeth, the, the girl at the beginning of the game who was given away through to Robert Lutis, the, the man who said, give us the girl and wipe away the debt. Young Booker sold old himself, his own child, to try to wipe away the debt of all of the pain and suffering that he caused. And then he goes back through and tries to rescue her. And he's basically caught in this time loop. It gets really, really trippy. But there's a couple of things that I really find interesting about this game. And Ashley, I know you'll probably want to jump in here with some thoughts too. Um, <laughs> I find this, I find the concept and the, the, I find the ending of the game really, really compelling because the game focuses in around this question. Give us the girl, wipe away the debt. And 
as you hit the final 20 minutes of gameplay, it is an absolutely breathtaking experience. I sat in dead silence when it happened. As you are beginning to end the game, you walk through, you begin to transport around uh, using the rifts. And Elizabeth is walking you through different places like she suddenly had a memory. And she opens a tear and you are taken back to Rapture, which is the, be- which is the first game of Bioshock, or which is where the, the setting of the first Bioshock. And you see Songbird, this mechanical bird that has been guarded, or who has been given to Elizabeth to guard her, protect her, keep her safe, keep her from escaping, keep her protected from people who might try to take her. Suddenly appear outside of Rapture and collapse and die. A sound that is heard at the end of Bioshock. The mm. original first game, there's an explosion, there's this song cry, songbird sound that until Infinite, you didn't know what it was. It's heard at the end of the first game. And then they're walking through Rapture, and you're like, and Booker is saying, where is this? What is this? What is this place? And, she's, and Elizabeth is saying, it's all connected. The lighthouses connect everything. And you walk through another door and suddenly you're walking out onto this pier out behind a lighthouse and you're looking out and you're seeing hundreds of other lighthouses and you, in the way far distance, you see two little kind of specks walking and closer middle distance, you see what's clearly two people walking and one right across from you, you realize it is Booker and Elizabeth walking away from a completely different lighthouse. And you can walk any number of directions. You can, there, as you walk forward, the roads and the uh, uh, piers begin to build up out of the water. And they just build whichever direction you go. Hmm. And it all arrives back at a stream after the war. And you are you're encountering the situation where Booker is at a baptismal ceremony and the preacher is asking him if he wants to be washed away of his sins, if he wants to be washed by the blood of the lamb, if he wants to become a new person and current Booker is thinking about this. He, he relives a memory where old Booker, a different iteration of Booker in this multiverse said no. And that person it's it sprung in events and it sprung a whole nother series of events but one of them said yes was washed and took a new name of zachary comstock and so what i find really interesting about this game and i'd love to hear some thoughts from you guys on is i love these these concentric circles of a search for redemption and I find, I find it really, really powerful throughout the game. Because the Bioshock, because Infinite ends after you learn this with all of a sudden your Elizabeth coming forward and say, are you ready? Will you have to end this where it began? And Booker saying, yes, we'll go back. We'll kill him as a child. It'll be fine. Like, we can do it. And like, no, you've tried that before. It failed. Another Elizabeth walks into frame. And all of a sudden, he's like, wait, who are you? Who are you? And another one walks into frame. And another one walks into frame. 
And Elizabeth is asking you, are you willing to do what it takes? Are you going to say you will, are you going to keep your word and do whatever it takes? Will you be baptized? And he was like, well, we have to end this. And Elizabeth was like, do you know what you mean? And they drown you. Hmm. So the game ends and restarts right back at the beginning. You walk, you are in that. There's an end clip after all the credits roll because that's it. That's the end of the game. You don't know mm-hmm. if the circle was broken. There's there's a great hymn usage throughout the song. The song will the circle be unbroken, and it's just beautiful. And they use it all the way through. There's even a, a hidden scene in the game to where an acoustic you can find an acoustic guitar and suddenly you and Elizabeth are just standing there singing this song in the ba- in a basement of a building. <laughs> it's it's a really cool scene. Uh but at the end of the credits as the credits roll, there's this one final scene and you're back in your little detective PI office. And you see the door, you see the door where the nursery ro- the nursery was. You run through the door. You say Elizabeth Elizabeth, and you walk, or Anna is the is your daughter's actual name. Um, it's changed to Elizabeth. So Anna, Anna, and you walk forward. You just start to see the edge of the, the crib, and it cuts. Hmm. So you don't know if what you actually did and what you tried to achieve in this game actually had any kind of effect. But you're left with in recognition of the horror of what you unleashed by the choices and by your attempts to be good and by your attempts to create this utopian society to start over, you unleashed the series of events that led to Zachary Comstock to led, that led to the society to where they worshipped the founding fathers. In one of the beautiful scenes at the beginning, you walk, you're walking through and you're seeing monks and you're seeing people praying to father jefferson and father washington and father comstock and it's just they've made it's such an immersive world it's such an interesting thing so they've made a religion out of patriotism and but you also have these really beautiful pictures of someone desperately searching for redemption okay i've been going for like 20 minutes Ashley, you, I know you had watched me play this game and have done quite a bit of reading on this as well. What are your thoughts on kind of those concentric circles and this time loop searching for redemption? Um, I was compelled by it to an extent because, well, let me backtrack. So I was, I was more compelled by the, Bio, the Bioshock Infinite narrative because of its use of American nationalism and essentialism and creating that as the basis for a sort of evangelical religious mutation, which Mm -hmm. unfortunately is rather familiar. I mean, we're, we're a couple statues away from being that. Yeah. Um, So I, I thought that that was really compelling that, you know, instead of saints, people are praying to, you know the founding fathers. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm always compelled by narratives that have um, utopian societies as a setting. 
this one I think of of both Rapture and Columbia. I think Columbia is more interesting. Um, the fact that it's in the sky is, is interesting, and I like that it looks like the World's mm. Fair. Yeah. Um, so there is this this very marketable sort of religion that again we we see already. Um, so it's an interesting sort of reflection uh, and critique on on current culture. Um, so then for that to be, for that having stemmed from a moment in Booker DeWitt's life in which he chooses to be baptized is also interesting um, because he's clearly, you know, he's, he's clearly coming from, from a place in which he's hurt and grieving and processing. Cause I think in the beginning, don't you see him in battle? Isn't he like at wounded knee? Yeah. He, it was the battle of wounded knee. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So (laughs) the soldier, then he becomes like a, a Pinkerton, um, investigator. Um, so there's this, this whole thing where he's got that very much that like sort of, um, wounded sort of, um, like dark horse vibe going on. Noir detective. Yeah. Very, very noir detective sort of, um, (laughs) persona. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, I don't remember if you get it like in one of those cards or something, like the recordings that they play when you find them. Uh-huh. I can't remember. I, I have a feeling, I'll have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure Booker DeWitt's meant to be um, like half Native American as well. So that also makes it kind of complex. I, I think you're right his, on that as well. With his involvement in in all of the events going forward. And then also makes his baptism very complex as well. Because that would be probably done out of um, wanting to to just be able to assimilate and live in his current society than any actual allegiance to anything, and so then to you know be a part of that community. Well, I mean, what's so, what's the social capital of a lot of sort of um, independent evangelical groups? It's to be the most confident and the be the one that's the that has the most memorized and to be the most charismatic leader of that group. So it doesn't surprise me then that he eventually builds himself up to be a greater leader. He's later, I think, called the prophet because I think yeah. I think Elizabeth ends up being after she's taken. They refer to her as the seed of the prophet. It is, um, which is interesting. That this is what I find really compelling. So Elizabeth's identity change is interesting to me because you said her name was Anna Dewitt initially. Well, who's Anna in the Bible? One of the wives of. Um, no, you're thinking of Hannah. I'm thinking of Hannah. You're correct. No, Anna was a prophetess that is referenced right. in Luke, who prophesies the coming of Christ. So then, when Comstock takes her and changes her name to Elizabeth, he's referred to as the prophet, and she's merely the seed of the prophet, mm-hmm. effectively mm-hmm. erasing any sort of like identity that she'd been given previously. Um, I think her mother's name, because we don't really get much on the mom, her no, like we, actual birth mother, but I think her mother's name is like Annabelle. So like she's she's kind of named after her mother, but then she's also got this really interesting biblical name, um, and she does do a lot. And we and, and Booker is dependent, like her father is dependent on her existence. Yeah, and she's the only one that can end it as well. 
because that's how she, she tries to end to, to end the circle. Um, so there's just a lot of, without meaning to be trite, but like very timey-wimey um, things going on that I, I keep kind of like cycling back on over and over and over again. Because uh, it's kind of hard to unpack because it's all linked. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think I find Anna Elizabeth probably the most compelling because of her relationship with her father. Um, and, and I think the question I always have is the relationship she has with Zachary Comstock, would she, would you say that she in, in that relationship still actually has a relationship with her father because he's the same person? Because everyone treats him like he's a different person, right? He's a different character. He's a completely, do you, was she actually taken from her father or like, that is a really good question. Because she's just taken from her father by her father. She's kidnapped by her father. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that is a really interesting question because, I mean, that also goes to tr- try to wrestle with the fact of how much do we change or how much are we capable of changing. Right, because he doesn't act, he becomes a worse person, actually. Yeah, he does. Not a better one. He's, he's, he, he becomes he, a tyrant. He becomes an extremist. Right. Well, and then also, like, with him being. Um, half Native American, then to create this utopian society that is has sis- systematic racism rampant through it. That's the fact that they have a carnival game mm. that is throwing baseballs at biracial couples. Like, so there's it's a lot up. of right, and it, there's a lot of in- internalized racism there that would need to be unpacked. That again, like this the the community that he would have entered into and then probably been formed by would not be equipped or or mean or have it be one of their um one of their primary sort of um goals to try to work through. Yeah. You know, it's it's not one of their priorities. Um, so yeah, there's just, there's so much to unpack with character by character that you can start with like, okay, what is destiny? What is fate? But you can't really do that right. without looking at each individual character themselves. And how they play into that picture. Right. Exactly. Cause what, what, what is it that they have responsibility for? Cause even Elizabeth is trying to unpack that for herself as she's trying to suss out these relationships she has and like why she has these powers. Cause she even has allegiance to Songberg who, who was her like her guard ultimately. Yeah. She tries to take care of him. And even though he protects her and sometimes terrorizes her, attacks Booker. Yeah. Uh, you see her being very sweet to him in the end and be like, shh, 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 it's okay. I'm okay. Right. You're okay. And then he dies. Right. Exactly. Which is also very haunting. Yeah. There, I think it's also really interesting too, the way that they, to go timey wimey that they, Elizabeth is directly responsible for the Latisas being together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the the two people who are in the boat with you initially, the two people who you see repeatedly throughout the game, uh, flipping the coin and interacting with you, it's actually who Ashley and her brother cosplayed as. Yeah, uh, it was great. I love that costume. At Chicago Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Wizard World. They, um, Elizabeth helped facilitate the transportation of one of the other Latisas to this timeline. So it's actually the same person, two different genders from two different timelines being brought to one to use their combined genius to create these mechanical marvels. And it's how Columbia is flying above everything. And it's how they've made all of these technological marvels is that 
the exact same person whose genius in both universes has been brought together to work with themselves to create this possibility. <clears throat> and, but through that, you also see some very flippant uses of it. So like the music throughout the whole thing is actually like big band versions of modern pop songs that have been stolen through time, like ripped from different centuries and dropped into this game in 1920s <laughs> um, barbershop quartet style music. Sure. <laughs> it's, so it's, it's just this bizarre world that you're dropped into. And then, yeah, you are wrestling with these really difficult questions. And I think... I think Elizabeth is a really the Elizabeth Anna character is a really interesting character. I actually hadn't even thought about the Anna connection there mm -hmm. and the willingness for Booker to, to say, no, let's end this and being willing to die a death. Right. Well, and, and also interesting, it just occurred to me, duh, that even in changing her name, he's still giving her a biblical name. It's Elizabeth, you know, relative of Mary. Uh-huh carrying John the Baptist. Um, right. So there's still like, it, again, it, it bears the question, how much does, does Booker effectively change? Really nothing. He, right. He's like his own self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh-huh. Um, which is, you know, a huge bummer. But <laughs> like yeah. no matter what he does, he seems to really just screw it up. So he, it's, it's imperative for Elizabeth, Elizabeth or Anna to be in, be present in his life that's what changes him, which I mean, that can get problematic because you don't want there to be that very like codependent sort of relationship, you know, having a child right. changed me. But I mean, that does seem to be some of what they're suggesting um, in, in some regard. Yeah, it's I think something to that is really interesting because you have all the you have these depictions of different societies. So you have the depiction of uh, the religious group that has been uh the, who worships the founding fathers but then you also have the vox populi mm -hmm. who is the re re the rebellion group that is trying to fight comstock and fight uh the government of colombia and trying to represent the people trying to make it better or trying to cause a revolution to some of these things so some of these things can change so comstock can stop oppressing people and can stop killing people uh when this game was released, there it was met with both critical acclaim and also some really serious feedback and accusations uh -huh. uh, by both sides. Because you got I mean, both sides of so, what? So you got very conservative party. You got a lot of some religious conservatives saying that they were taking pot shots at conservatism and uh, like taking shots at evangelical faith. And mm. so it, there well, were several, yeah. I mean, they were, uh, <laughs> it definitely was a parody. It definitely was a, uh, not a parody, but a, um, um, satire, satire. Thank you. Uh, it definitely was satirizing, but you, but then you also had people who were saying that Vox Populi looked like the Occupy movement and I can see that, yeah. but it's also, that's another one where like, if you look at both sides of it, Vox Populi or Populi could be the voice of the people or, you know, put in the wrong hands could be that whole, like, argumentum ad populum, like that that concept of, um, well, because many believe it, it must be so. Uh -huh. 
So mm. you like launch into the fallacy and you see that within that rebellion, that rebellion itself is, you know, they make some pretty poor choices. They, they mean well and they're trying to affect change. Um, and I, and again, I think this is something you see today, people who mean well and mean to affect change, but aren't if, cri- cri- thinking critically about their own actions. Yeah. Um, so again, I think the, the main crux of the game itself is how much how much change can you actually affect within your own fate like what is fate how much can you actually change what's going to happen do the actions that you have actually do anything, do anything. or mean anything yeah because i mean you even see this with the lutises and the coin yep and they keep flipping it and it keeps landing on heads or tails depending i think on how you play yeah um, cause you also have the choice of between, between the different the, lockets, right. Where it's a bird or the cage. So it's a whole thing, but yeah. <laughs> and then just showing you just like, and it's also poking fun at a lot of like, um, Western RPGs where they, you know, you have these dialogue trees and you can make choices and it's like suggesting that your choices matter, but really they don't. So then Bioshock Infinite, right. they're like, you have all these choices, aren't they great and beautiful and symbolic, but they don't actually do anything. Uh, you still land the in the same pleasant. damn place. Yeah, and ever present dialogue playing. A fun one, <laughs> right. a fun one which too. I love them. I'm a sucker for them, but still. Right. One of the fun things that too happens is they uh, at the very beginning of the game, if you choose to not get out of the boat, the Lutises will start commenting at you. Yeah. And they'll start talking to you, being like, "Well, aren't you going to get out of the boat?" Mm-hmm. And then the and the other one will basically say, "Don't worry, they will." Yeah. And so from because, the yeah, very eventually beginning, you're going to get bored. Yeah. No, it's perfect. Yeah, and, and it's it is the perfect joke, mm-hmm. but it's also the perfect loop. Right. Because it's just setting it up right from the get-go mm-hmm. of Yeah, we know you're going to do this. We you you've been conditioned. You've done this every time. You know the direction we're forcing you to go. We know where you're going to go. And so I think it is that question of fate that really I really enjoy about BioShock Infinite and how the loops play together. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Okay, so this is coming from uh, a relative outsider perspective, given that I haven't actually played the game. I played, I don't know, a few hours worth of the first Bioshock, and that's about it. But having heard heard you guys tell stories and, and talk about this game on several different occasions, I think, so the fate thing is interesting to me, but it's also, um, so there's like this weird, like, purgatory analog in play here mm-hmm, definitely right where it's like this this sort of almost eternal condemnation sort of thing mm-hmm. where if you are fated to live this loop and again if in the end of the game you don't actually know whether the circle has been broken or not it, like that's really like harsh i guess and i find it like yeah uh, i'm using the word like a lot which is shameful <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're 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 externally processing right which is always a bad thing for me to try and do um but i i feel like yeah, there's a lot of interesting questions just in that to to unpack and and you can get very theological with it in terms of of sort of the notions of of purgatory versus all in pure grace kind of thing um there's a a parallel here that I'm just going to throw out there because it's something that I can process because I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the infinity war comic, like the actual 
comic version of of the films um it's interesting because thanos gets his hand on all the infinity stones and then he just sort of claims cosmic power he doesn't do the snap his fingers wipe out half the universe thing um but he you know he destroys everyone and like even the the like cosmic entities are coming after him like galactus and all of these very extremely powerful um sort of godlike entities in the marvel universe and he just like snuffs them all out because he has the infinity gauntlet and the way he's finally defeated is because adam warlock basically outsmarts him in a in a sense because he he realizes that thanos has always given and out like he 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 thanos has always been self-defeating because he always leaves something specific undone or unguarded in such a way that he will end up defeating himself and in this case it's that he so he ends up killing nebula mm-hmm. um pretty early on in the series and then like resurrects her as like a basically like a mind, mindless zombie mm-hmm. um and that's just the state that she's in throughout this whole sequence of events and she's like right there at his right hand the whole time but he just disregards her so she ends up it, like as all the earth superheroes are fighting thanos and whatnot she ends up taking like taking advantage of this moment and taking the gauntlet away from thanos and then ends up using her wish to like 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 her will in that moment as a basically mindless zombie is to defeat Thanos, right? Like to to get vengeance on Thanos. So she does so. And that's how like the whole thing ends up getting undone. And then Adam Warlock is telling Thanos, like, no, like this or uh, Thanos or some of the other heroes, I can't remember exactly how it pans out, but um it's basically, yeah, no, I knew Thanos would defeat himself because he always does. Like he always he desires cosmic power. But the moment that he claims it, his like self-doubt kicks in and then he ends up defeating himself. Right. So it sounds very kind of similar to this in the sense of like if you're constantly trapped in in the cages of your own self-doubt, sort of even self-absorption in a sense, like to to look at his psychology, Booker psychology, and again, I don't know, but this is just a question it raises for me of, of is his rise to power a sign of his, his lack of self-worth to the extent that he becomes self-defeating? He creates this loop for himself because he can't, he can't fathom truly an instance in which he has obtained ultimate power. So he ends up defeating himself over and over and over again and creating very much a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. That is a really interesting thought. Yeah, I I just want to clarify one thing you said, because you mentioned purgatory. And purgatory itself is supposed to be like a, a process, process of um, expiation. So you're supposed to work yourself out of your own fallenness in a way. Right. Like you're supposed to be working through your sin to eventually get to God. And I do right. think that ending that you mentioned, Alan, where like he's walking up to the crib and you don't know whether Anna's in there or not, uh-huh. allows for a, in it a hopeful interpretation where possibly he has worked himself out and he has his memory, so he can learn from his mistakes and then be better. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's definitely true. Now I'm the one externally processing. Yeah, right. Welcome to the club. <laughs> this is another Becoming conversation in which thing. I need a cork board and a lot of pins and a lot of yarn. 
Uh, we need several at this point. Yeah, like we yeah. just need to start f- like all the walls. We need in a bigger every room. Room we enter. Yeah. <laughs> we need digital corkboard. Is that a thing? I don't know. Copyright that though. Somebody. <laughs> somebody is going like, to come idea, up with digital idea. corkboard. <laughs> Giant touch screens. Be able to my just- paranoid chat room space. <laughs> just spew theories and random ideas about the nature of the universe. Oh my goodness. So then, can you clarify for me how Bioshock Infinite ties into other than, you know, them, there's a whole thing, because I know there's a point where Elizabeth tears, and Booker goes into it, and he's in Rapture, and then that's when we see Songbird drown. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, spoiler. Um, I don't care. Um, But I know that there was, like, a DLC where Booker is in a... um, a detective's office in Rapture uh-huh. and Elizabeth comes in and, it, and it's all very noir. Um, and they, there's some sort of um, mystery. I forget what the, the mystery is that they're solving yeah, in Rapture, but then they end up like meeting with like all the people that you would have fought when you were playing Bioshock. Uh-huh. Like they're the first three. Um, so I haven't played the, uh, I want to, it's not under the sea. But uh, it's something along that line. Uh, I have not played that DLC, so I can't speak mm-hmm. to that. Uh, where I, what I can speak to is a really popular theory and a commonly articulated comparison that is a little shocking and a little creepy. Uh, in that there are so many parallels between Bioshock Infinite and the original Bioshock that it has some people wondering if it's the same universe. Or if they are alternate realities on the same timeline. Because Elizabeth is able to tear away to Rapture mm-hmm. and just makes an aside of like, this is this is an existence from another time. And it, on the surface level, it's like, oh, that's just a nice nod to the series of games. But if you start looking at it more closely, so in the original Bioshock, you are playing as the son of Ryan, uh, who you... Andrew Ryan. Andrew yeah. Ryan. And so you are trying to defeat your father, essentially. And there are these... And I didn't believe this one until I went back and looked at it, and then it really creeped me out. There are the the little girls, so the little sisters, and then the big daddies that protect them. So it's little, basically, not demon-infested, but they are like possessed, corrupted soul little girls running around with these giant... They're robots. not really corrupted. They're just children that haven't been loved. They were orphans. <laughs> but there was, they'd been injected with, they'd been experimented well, on. Right, I get that. But you're saying they're soulless. There would have been no. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're not like just shells walking around like automatons. No, you're correct. Sorry, misspoke. And yeah, yeah, you did. But if you go <laughs> back and look. <laughs> Jeez. Goodness. Uh, if you go back and you look at a picture of a little sister, dressed in blue, dark hair, has a big robotic figure protecting it, has these weird powers that they don't really understand. Mm. Some people have made the connection to say that little sisters, one of them, could very well be Elizabeth. Hmm. And so because Songbird, giant robotic thing to take care of her, She's older, dressed in blue, has powers that she doesn't really know how she got, but possesses and has them uh, and tries to use them. 
You see them ha- see her have the control over the big daddies to try to protect them. And you can either choose to essentially consume her soul and kill her to collect power in the first game, or you can cleanse her and let her free. And then after you kill the big daddy, you can set her free. So there's a lot of parallels, even down to the doctors. You've got the mad doctors in the first one. I can't remember the first in the original Bioshocks, uh, the doctor's name, but experimenting on people trying to create perfection. And you have the doctor in uh, Bioshock Infant who's essentially trying to do the same thing. Like the Lutises, they're trying to create these, uh, trying to create a perfect, perfect society. They're trying to create perfection and play God. Mm-hmm. And it, you could argue that they've gone a little bit mad. Yeah, each of them have gone a little bit mad. And then you've got the main character who's fighting against, in one way or another, a different version of themselves. One who's set up this utopian society and one who's seeing it for the horror that it is and trying to fight against them to bring it to an end or do something to cause the whole process to end. So that is a really common thread is all these games are taking place within the same universe different iterations of it and it in different timelines but the same characters are in play does that answer your question (laughs) sure (laughs) sorry i was already on to something else i mean one thing one question that i think is kind of worth posing and i don't know that it's it's i mean it would be a a task to answer but i think the thing that a lot of this stuff makes me think is is it fair is it, you know, it, it raises the morality question of are we responsible for the results of our actions that we never intend or could possibly even fathom, right? Which I'm sure is, is a huge integral part of the game and the, the understanding how many of his actions, how many of his choices have these consequences. Um and I know that's kind of the the whole point. That's the whole thing that they're they're playing around with. But I, in a kind of real world capacity, I think it's worth sort of considering the morality behind that and looking at you know, sure, I'm sure there are plenty of instances in which he makes specific choices that you're like, yeah, no, that was that was just wrong. But how much are we culpable for those choices that we can't? foresee the consequences of that we can't reasonably assume you know that we know what's going to happen because of it right and that just depends on what perspective you take on on fate like we've been saying right and even like how you view the eschaton which is a whole nother thing in itself yeah you know like and and that's like i said not necessarily a question we have to answer oh, no. but i think right. it's one no we're i'm pondering. using with you i mean because i'm even trying to figure out like what my personal answer would be for myself like right. how would i rationalize this and i and i don't know right. and that's i think why i keep coming back to it and i i mean not to get on a tirade of arts education but <laughs> like i think that's what makes good <laughs> art is like when you when you get to the end of something and you're like shoot that's making me rethink everything but in a good right. way not in a way that's like well, I'm going to burn it all down now because there are no answers. <laughs> but in the sense that like it, it challenges you and it makes you reconsider or it, it encourage you to, encourages you to dig into other, you know, traditions or, or philosophies, ways of like 
entering into a conversation about these things. And that's what I think is so compelling about Bioshock Infinite, especially, but like all, all three Bioshocks and then Burial at Sea, which is the D- DLC. Thank game. you. You're welcome. It was driving me nuts. So I had to look it up. <laughs> um, uh, is that it feels like it's very approachable regardless of what tradition or, you know, religious faith, lack of religious tradition or faith you're coming from, it gives you something to process about your own understanding of humanity. Um, right. Which I think is really cool. And then, and also like you said, makes you consider what your responsibility is. Cause I'm sure someone who thinks we have absolutely no responsibility for our actions that we're just kind of like on an, like on automated track and you, what will happen will happen. will go, mm-hmm. Oh shoot. Maybe I should really be thinking more about wh- what I do day to day or, or how I think about, you know, my inner, my relationships, what have you. Um, someone who, who thinks more, um, on a, like a free will angle may think more about, you know, patterns that they have that (laughs) really they keep like suggesting, uh, that, you know, they can, they can stop whenever they want. And then they realize, oh, shoot, no, that's actually like a habit that I keep going back to, um, that may have, you know, shaped a lot of my identity. Um, so what would that look like for that cycle to be broken? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's just so much, so much to unpack and, and no concrete answer. And that's why I like postmodernism. Mm. <laughs> I think that's a really nice spot for us to call it quits though. Is it? I don't know if you want to end on that note. <laughs> don't I though? <laughs> Good night. Explore your deconstructions. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun. Bye. (laughs) Happy sleeps. Minmaxpod at gmail.com. Minmaxpod on all the socials except Reddit where you're slash you slash minmaxpodcast. 773-789-9369 is the voicemail number. You can reach us there with voicemails three minutes or less. Anything longer than that, send it over as an audio file. As always, uh, just as a reminder, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash minmaxpod. Go over there and see all sorts of interesting things that you can subscribe to. Every little bit that you guys give to us help us to produce the podcast, helps us upgrade equipment, covers hosting, and all sorts of a range of things. And you also get some nice little rewards, like being able to hang out with us in Slack, or get stickers, or coffee mugs, or t-shirts, or all sorts of different things. So there's lots of options, so go check that out, minmaxpod, or uh, patreon.com slash minmaxpod. You can follow us on the socials. I'm at Alan H. Mowers. Ashley's at DD underscore K. And Kyle is at Stainbrook Kyle. Still not Canebrook. But, oh well. Alas, that boat has long since sailed. Mm, Poor Uncle Bloodstain. (laughs) Talk about a self-fulfilling prophecy. Just the pinnacle of violence over there. Look at him. Murderous eyeballs. I'm narrating sure. for the audience because you can't see it yourself, but there's murder uh, in his eyes. It's just I, I, I feel <laughs> I feel death in this room tonight. Thanks, guys. It's coming for us all. Just emanating from feel that very computer loved. screen all or the way lots from Lots of affirmation. Or will it? All the way from South Dakota. Or will he choose to break the cycle and not let it happen? I don't know, Kyle, do you have a daughter? (laughs) You'll never know. Oh, no!